Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. All right. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful 28th day of May. You're listening to We Do Recover. I'm your host of this thing, Jared Miller. I'm going to introduce the rest of the lineup. Some of them are some familiar names. We have our producer, Sean Denovan. That's me. Love Sean. We also have your co-host, our medical export export yeah, expert. We're, we're sending him overseas. Him we're yeah, we're going to export him. Expat. Our, our medical guy we're going to send overseas. Dr. Terry Sellers. What's up, everybody? And we have a featured guest for you today, my buddy, my man, Drew Wilson. What up? How are you this morning? <laughs> Doing good, man. Good, good. Still, I, I'm good. not a morning person, still waking Drew, up sounds like at you need 10 a.m. need some caffeine, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> well, uh, you're a doctor. What can you prescribe me? <laughs> Dr. Uh, Pepper. I see, you see what you did there? <laughs> Dr. Pepper. All right. Well, let's get into some new and goods, man. It's We took a week off. I went fishing. Strawberry. It was beautiful. That's my new and good. Oh, also, I, I just barely got under contract for a house. That's also Whoa. a new and good. Sweet. And the best new and good of all is July 14th is getting closer the day I get to marry Mandy. So Whoa. she hasn't bailed yet. Whoa. The right? day she gets to marry you. <laughs> I appreciate no, that, Drew. She has to marry him. Oh, that's true. I was, <laughs> I was being nice. Yeah. Don't. So that's, Don't. <laughs> that's my new and good. Those are new and goods. Yeah. I like those a lot. What's new and good with you, Doc? Uh, did you catch anything? I, I did. Yeah. I caught What'd a beautiful you, rainbow. Really? Rainbow trout. Yep. Did you bring it home or did you release it? No, nah, I released it. Dang I it. released it. Love eating fish. Yeah. How big? It's like 22 inches. 27 more. feet? What? What? The largest You've trout? You've seen Jaws, ever? right? It was basically an episode of Jaws. It was did a rainbow. A boat? <laughs> it was a rainbow great white shark. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. All right. Well, my uh, did you ask me my new and good? I didn't catch that. I did indeed. I don't know what my new good is. That's the problem. So uh, I changed up my schedule a little bit. You guys, some of you know. Well, you know, Jared, but nobody else may know. But I usually work in Richfield on Thursdays and then drive straight here from Richfield. And because of some conflicts, I had to change my Richfield day to Wednesday. So I drive straight here from Orem now instead of from Richfield. So it's a much longer drive. Mm. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably it's nice to stop halfway through, right, and get I out. Mean, are are you really driving with that Tesla that you have? I mean, you're just sitting back, sleeping in the back seat. Well, and I let call the that, car drive. It, I right? call that driving. Well, okay. <laughs> Angry birds. He had to get that because he had three prior accidents within the same year that totaled each one of his cars. <laughs> when, so. I, when I say driving, I mean sleeping, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for technology. No, I don't drive a Tesla. I drive something else, and it uh, doesn't drive itself. Dang it. Dang it. And yeah. they don't teach you to fold your collar down in the floor. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> he, he's got you <laughs> taking care of my caffeine. In <laughs> Sean Denovan, rein us in here, man. What's new and good going on in your world? Everything's fine. Oh, that was so the inspiring. Most, that was the most <laughs> the hottest, enthusiastic the hottest podcast on radio, thanks to Sean Denovan. Everything's fine. Uh, bike was broken. Motorcycle's broken. What? That's, well, and, that's and, your new and good every and, and single week. I know, but it's like 90% fixed again. I oh. think we need to start a new one fundraiser. I think we need to start a new fundraiser, and it's going to be fun Sean Denovan's motorcycle. Get him a bike bike that'll last longer than four minutes. Well, hey, 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 my bike. Seven minutes. It's always falling apart, but it always makes it. I have never broken down permanently or had to be towed home anywhere. I'm just saying. (laughs) Of all the things that have happened. Nice. And you just jinxed it. Ah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, There with that. By the way, I'm going to Texas. So wish me luck. I may be calling you to... Hold me home. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, my friend. You know my number. Drew Wilson, what's new and good? What's going on in your world? Man, I, so I saw an engagement picture in November. Yeah. What did she, did she say yes? Uh, no. He just printed the picture, but she said no. <laughs> to everyone's uh, shock and surprise, yes, she she said yes. So who are you engaged to? Uh, so her name's Linda Bestian. Uh, I mean. Don't tell me, she, tell the mic. Sorry, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I don't do this every week, Jared. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to look at you, man. You're good, brother. Uh, yeah, so her name's Linda. Uh, she's also in recovery. I don't think she'll mind me telling you that. Nice. Uh, neither of us really try to, you know, hide that part of our lives. You know, it's just kind of part of who we are now, and uh, and we try to just share with everyone, kind of, you know, help break that stigma. So 
I love that. Yeah. I got a bunch of friends that do still hide it. Yeah. None of them come on this podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. If you're on Weird. the podcast, you're not hiding much. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, cool. Doc, where do you want to go with Drew? I don't know. Sideways. Sideways. Let's go sideways. Throw him a curveball. Drew? Tell me. What's uh, your favorite trophy that you have from your childhood? Well, <laughs> turns out I wasn't an awesome athlete oh. as a child. Oh, man. So I mostly, mostly I had participation tro- yes. trophies, you know. And, that, yeah. But yeah. when I was... Uh, can can we go early twenties? Oh, you can go anytime you want. I got a I got a hole in one playing golf, uh, in my early twenties, and my dad got me a trophy with the ball. However, like the actual ball that you hit a hole in the, one. The with. ball, yeah. Wow. However, in my addiction, uh, in, long story short, it it was lost. It to, disappeared itself to father time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I gotta be honest with you. That's a heck of a trophy. I don't have one of those and I've played a lot of golf in my day. Yeah. Now sellers is going to go around to all the pawn shops in Orem looking for that trophy. I'm going yeah. yeah. to find, I'm going to find that trophy for you for sure. Or make you another one, whatever. Yeah. There you go. Whatever uh, Hey, uh, that was just a curveball. Sorry. Kind of cool though that you have a hole in one. Yeah, not everybody I know can say that. Yeah, including it was was exciting, including me. And I've played a bunch of golf, just never quite had one. You know what I think? I think that hole in ones skip a generation. My grandpa had one. My dad hasn't. I had one, and I heard another story like that. I don't have anybody in my family that's ever had one. Well, (laughs) they skip a whole family in my case. (laughs) Speaking of skipping, you know what I skipped? What? Episode 40, part one, is brought to you by Steps oh. Recovery Centers. Oh, my god! Where addiction ends and healing begins. wonder where Drew Wilson works. Drew, do you know anything about Steps? Um, I'm fa- fairly familiar with it. Have oh, you heard of yeah. them? <laughs> Never heard of them at all? It's got their swag on. Uh, so listen, seriously, in all seriousness, if, if you or a loved one need help, give them a call. 801-800-8142. Drew, let's, should we start there? I mean, let's shift from golf to... No, 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 don't shift from golf. Okay, well. Stay with golf. I'm in charge of this episode. You sit over there. Tell us about how much you love. (laughs) I'm kidding. Golfing while working at Steps Recovery. There you go. There you go. Intertwined it. Well, turns out they go hand in hand. (laughs) 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 Although I just had surgery a couple weeks ago and I can't play golf for probably another three, four weeks. Oh, shoot. Tournament next week. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be at uh, Mr. Lemma's tournament. Dang it. And, uh,. I will. Can't uh, can't play sober softball, none of that. So it's been kind of rough. You ever play good time golf? Oh yeah, you I played, played those guys. I played up at Mountaindale a few weeks ago. So they're yeah. having a tournament on. Yeah, there's night. a couple tournaments going yeah. on. I think Renaissance Ranch is having one tomorrow. Are they? Yeah, I don't think just like a little nine hole. I don't think night. Renaissance Ranch invites me that much. Oh, <laughs> I was surprised they invited me. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's actually ta- let's have an episode. Okay, now, let's, yeah, let's yeah, get it. We we'll get back on track. <laughs> my OCD, you guys are killing me <laughs> right now. That's my goal is to kill your OCD. Uh, you know uh, Shall we? You want to shift gears to my experience with steps? Is that what you're wanting to do? Just tell us. Well, tell what us you, about your yeah, life. tell us right now. What are you doing for Steps? What do you tell us? What that role is? Tell uh, us. So I'm the director of business development at Steps. Um, so uh, long story short, I went to Steps about ten years ago. So um, you were you were a client there. I was a client first. Um, you know, did well for a while. Turns out I didn't work very hard in treatment. Like you're supposed to feel uncomfortable in treatment. It, it turns out like. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I all I did was flirt with girls and uh, you know had a good time and, <laughs> and thought at the end, well, that was easy. I'm super good at rehab, you know. <laughs> and and uh, so thought, I'll do it again. Thought that that was enough, you know. And uh, you know, later on, I was able to use a lot of the tools that I learned in steps, but I didn't apply them in my life until until I was in prison. Unfortunately, mm. um, you know, I ended up going to prison for three and a half years and. You know, due to just you know, obviously from stuff from my addiction. And, right. But I um, want to stop and point out one thing. He did say some seeds were planted, and we've talked about that on previous episodes. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, so okay, go ahead. So hold on. They planted the seeds. You decided to continue to pile manure on top of that seed. Mm-hmm. Right. So it'll grow eventually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> I like it. Sorry. Okay. Back to you. I like your analogy. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, I I learned a lot of good stuff. It was it was getting in there. 
Right. I just wasn't ready to apply it yet, you know, and uh, thought I was smarter than it, you know, better than it, uh, than the disease. And um, ended up having a relapse, went to prison three and a half years. And, and when I got out of prison, I paroled to Steps Sober Living House in Orem. Mm. Um, and that's where I met people. Like where, where was Steps Sober Living House at the time? Eighth Sand North? Sand Hill House. Uh, Sand Hill Road okay, by okay, Walmart right. there in Orem. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I paroled there. I met people like Julie Jackson, who you guys had on uh, last month or whenever that was. And, uh, you know, Tyler Hansen and Paul Walkenhorst, our owners, I met them and, uh, they made me the house manager a few months later. Um, shout out to those guys. Love those guys. Yeah. Um, and when I first got out of prison, I was working for Christian Smith, our pal Christian Smith at his old place inspired and he, he gave me my first job in recovery out of prison and, uh, and, you know, really gave me a chance. And, um, you know, and as you know, that place later became Renaissance ranch. And, right. um, and so I went over to steps to be, uh, they, they asked me to be a case manager at their outpatient treatment in Orem and, uh, did that for about six months. And then they plugged me into marketing and they said, Hey Drew, you're a marketer now. And I had no idea what to do, no idea what that <laughs> meant. Uh, and uh, just kind of just kind of went for it. You know, one one thing I will say about my my prison experience is I didn't really take things seriously the first year. I was still kind of screwing around in prison. But but eventually I got serious and I really uh, focused on coming out a better person, a better man, more prepared for life. Um, and so when I got out and Christian gave me that job, I was really able to just hit the ground running, you know, and, um, and, and so I, I moved up quickly, you know, all of a sudden I'm, uh, in marketing director, I was the programming director at our Draper outpatient. Um, uh, sorry, I wasn't marketing director. I was in marketing. Um, and, uh, and I did really well. Turns out I was pretty good at it. Um, I, uh, I've, I've always struggled with finding my strengths and my talents. Uh, I always assumed that talents meant you can sing good, you're good at sports, you know, and I, I never really, uh, thought of the ability to connect with people, uh, the ability to, uh, empathize with people, uh, as talents, you know, uh, the, the ability to, you know, be funny and charming and, and injected into the right situations, um, is as a talent. Um, and, and those are things that, that are my talents, you know, and I've been able to really utilize them. And, and it turns out like, I, I just love it. I love connecting with people. My favorite part of the job is that first meeting when they're so hopeless and, and you get to give them hope, you know, whether it's them or it's their mom or dad, you know, and, and you get to provide that hope for them. And, um, you know, we've talked about different things, uh, on our team, uh, you know, business development marketing team, like, should we separate marketing and admissions? Should we do this? Should we do that? You know, but I, uh, one thing, the conclusion we came to is we don't want to lose that connection, you know, um, I didn't want to lose that part of it where I wasn't involved with the family and the client, you know, and, and seeing them all the way through their process. Um, and it takes a little more time and a little more emotional energy, but, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a talent, right? Communication connection. Like those things are definitely talents that not everybody has. And the thing that I want to point out that I think is absolutely beautiful, right. Is going from, going through your wreckage of your past. Right. And then one day a beautiful thing happens when a shift happens, like you talked about happened for you in prison where you're like, I, I'm, I need a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like this, this lifestyle no longer serves me. I'm tired of being sick and tired. You make the transition. And then for a long time, speaking from my experience, I still was like covering up that. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to visit it. I didn't want people to know that I struggled with substance use disorder. And then one day it's like, my weaknesses became my strengths mm -hmm. because I'm sure you have this moment, right? Drew, when you're sitting across from somebody and they're going, you don't know me. I've been to prison. I've, I've been, I've done this. I've done that. I've stole from my parents. I've right. And they're basically building a defense as to why you could never relate to things right. that they'd gone through to be able to look at them and go, really? <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about what I've gone through. Right. Why and then you it's Google like my name <laughs> and, th and then yeah. it's like this, this, window of opportunity opens up where all of a sudden now 
there's relatability of, of relationship starts to foster. And you're right. That's a talent. And I think it's amazing how we can go from the darkness of our past to using that as a tool to inspire others and to bring out the light in others. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things to do is what Drew does. Going to somebody who has no hope is at the bottom of, the, you know, at their rock bottom and trying to, I like the, the word you used, uh, interject, right? Or, or basically to get them to, to commit to, hey, there is a better way. There's a better life. But yeah. trying to do that, man, it takes a, a very passionate person. It takes somebody that has a lot of, personal skills. So that's cool, man. I love that. I think, I think importantly too, it, it takes someone that's willing to accept that you might not be successful, you know, yeah. to, to be okay and to set your ego aside and, and not take it personally when you give your, your heart and everything you have to, to get this person to, uh, you know, to buy in. Um, and, and they don't accept that help. You know, I, it took me a long time to, to not feel like a failure after that. Well, yeah. you know, the, the thing is, we're capable of doing that to ourselves, right? We, we're wise enough to know that when somebody succeeds, it wasn't because of me. Yeah. Like when yeah. I succeed, maybe it's because of me, but if somebody else succeeds, that wasn't because of me. But when they fail, that was because yeah. of me. Right? And we personalize we're, it. Yeah, we're so hard on ourselves. We can't, we won't take credit for if somebody does but we'll good. we'll take the blame. But man, if they don't do well, it's all on us. Yeah. And that's just, that just shows you how the sort of, addict mind works and, and it's not just addicts that feel that way sometimes but i'm saying we definitely are capable of doing that like if you can't if you're gonna be humble enough to say listen if that guy succeeded it wasn't it because of me it was because of the work he or she did then we can't also take the blame yeah so yeah. It's, that's hard to see you can't get but. somebody to surrender right you right. like you can you can show them the path but you can't get them to surrender give up control admit that they have a problem right all the steps that we talk about all the keys to to recovery like yeah you can't do that for them they have to do that on their own what's interesting is you know all this terrible stuff that i put myself through you know going to prison losing the connection with my daughter uh, you know divorce losing homes jobs all that stuff you know was never enough um, but then the, what all the, what ended up, you know, kind of flipping that switch in my head was I was in the prison and I got in trouble within the prison. They put some sanctions on me. They took my personal TV away. So, uh -oh. I, so I wasn't going to be able to watch the San Francisco giants play in the world series. Oh, yeah. and, and for whatever reason, that was enough, you know, and, <laughs> and not that that's more important than my daughter or anything else. It was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Hey, listen, there is a straw, right? Yeah. I don't know if you, uh, so you know who Eric Clapton is? Clapton's in recovery. Yeah. Right. And he wrote a book and his, you remember he wrote the song tears in heaven where his kid fell out of a second story window and died. Right. Mm. That's not what got him clean. He wrote his, when he wrote, when he wrote his, his autobiography, he was walking down a trail going fishing one day and he was high and he tripped and broke his fishing rod. Yeah. And his kid falling out of a second story window wasn't enough to get him clean, but he broke his fishing rod and that's the day he started getting clean. Yeah. And it I, takes what it takes. Yeah, and I would I would uh argue that all of those sitting in your conscience mind yeah. are heavy. Yeah. And so a lot of times it is the fly that breaks the camel's back, right? Yeah. A lot of times it are it is those little things that you're like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and then yeah, yeah. I, I love just it. Finally, got tired of me being who I was getting in the way of me being who I wanted to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. Okay. So, uh, we kind of, we're still freewheeling a little bit. I like it. All right. Good. I do too. But take us back to, uh, how, how'd you get started using drugs or alcohol? So I, uh, you know, I grew up in a really just normal kind of middle-class family in Northern California, you know, no, no real uh, problems or trauma I can think of growing up. You know, had, shout out to your hometown, uh, Cottonwood, California. Okay, yeah, Sweet. <laughs> about fifteen hundred people. Yes, uh, maybe two thousand. I don't know. Um, so we, uh, you know, had a good upbringing. Uh, parents stayed married. Good siblings. Good friends. Um, you know, never drank or did drugs during high school. You know, was a good kid. Um, I mean, other than just like ditching school and 
you know, stupid stuff like that. But other than all the other bad behaviors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just yeah, other than that. stealing stuff like that. No. Um, <laughs> and, and it was in my uh, 20s. So I, I got married when I was 21. Um, you know, obviously didn't work out because I'm getting married here in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but I, I got married when I was 21, you know, we, my daughter was born when I was about 24. And, um, you know, one thing that I discovered through my therapy and then my parents were able to discover, um, you know, and this isn't something that I use to blame my parents, you know, it's just something that we we've realized, you know, and that they, they couldn't know at the time, you know, but basically, you know, this is first world problems, but basically they loved me too much, you know, in that they, they didn't want me to experience pain, disappointment, stress, you know, and they tried to protect me from that stuff, you know, and, uh, and they put things in place where I wouldn't have to, to really experience those things, you know, or as little as possible. So, so by the time I was an adult, I had no coping skills. You know, if you're not experiencing those things growing up, then you don't have time to develop these coping skills. And so I found myself as a new husband, a new father, um, and, you know, I suffered from depression and, and anxiety and, and I had zero coping skills, um, started getting some pretty bad, uh, stress headaches, you know, like, mm. uh, you know, mm. um, I guess that's what they were. I never actually got an actual diagnosis. They, they were just excruciating. You were having headaches. Yeah. And they Terrible were 24 seven, you know, sure. and I went to, uh, I went to an Instacare one day and I just said, Hey, this is what's going on. And he said, okay, here's 50 Vicodin. You know, and <laughs> 50. Yeah. So, That'll cure and, any yeah. headache. Yeah. If he's like, all at once. he's like, just narcotics is the best thing for this kind of pain. I was like, okay. Didn't really know any better. Right. You know, I'd, okay. I'd had them before, you know, just wisdom teeth, wrist surgery. But all I remembered is that they made me tired. Um, uh, but turns out this time, you know, like not only did it solve my, my physical pain, but it, it really helped with. Uh, a lot of the emotional stuff was going on. I felt less depressed and anxious. I felt like a better father, better husband. And, and bam, I thought I found my solution and kind of wondered like, why isn't everyone doing this? That yeah. was the lie yeah. that your brain told yeah. that you believed. Exactly. Yes. 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 My, my brain lied to me yes. and, <laughs> and I believed it. But it felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point is it does feel that way. Yeah. Right? I, I see people all the time that that support people, not, not the person who suffers from substance abuse themselves, but support people saying, Oh, the, these drug addicts are just terrible people and they're making terrible choices. And the truth is seeking relief from a terrible headache is not a bad choice, right? right? This is how a lot of people start. A lot of people start with an injury or an illness or, a, you know, you go into the dock, you broke your leg or you, you tore your ACL playing football or, you know, whatever it is. And the doc gives you some pain pills. That's how it starts for a bunch of people. Guilty. That's not a bunch of bad moral people right there. Those are people going in trying to get help for their torn ligaments or their migraine headaches or their whatever they have. Sure. That's a lot of people. And if people thought that way, I would challenge their thinking. When I do the family groups, I think relatability is huge. And so I always say all of us in today's society are addicted to sugar. And I get that it's not the same thing. However, I did read a statistic the other day that sugar is eight times more uh, addictive than cocaine. I'm going to say it again. Sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine. So anyways, I, I always like to throw that, throw that out there. sprinkling cocaine in your uh, coffee. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't recommend that, but, but everybody can I've relate. Read those studies. You can relate. By the way, I, I argue with that point. Okay. I've read those studies. Ooh, sounds like a future podcast coming yeah, up. Yeah. Let's do that. Sugar <laughs> versus cocaine. All right. Uh, okay. So anyway, so there you go. Yeah. So, you know, it, uh, we got about a minute left. So yeah, it, uh, you know, obviously blossomed from there, you know, into something much more. I quickly refilled that prescription and, and you can kind of guess, you know, the, the snowball effect. It's a, it's a common tale. Um, and you know, as, as you know, how addiction affects the brain and it affects your ability to make good choices. And, you know, it started, uh, started making very poor choices and, and my, my uh, personality started to change. I started to engage in criminal activity like burglary and, you know, stealing from friends and family. So yeah. let's, uh, uh, let's take a break there. We'll come back and kind of finish this part of it, but uh, I'm excited to, to finish yeah. it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I want to argue with the whole decision thing 
because once your brain's addicted, it's no longer really a decision, right? Yeah, it's it's no the question. it's the powerless powerlessness right. that we talk about. So I'm excited to I'm excited to get back to that. And guess what? I think we have a board certified addictionologist here that I want to can talk. maybe talk a little bit about that too. Oh. But then we want to get to your life in recovery today. So join us for that that good stuff in part two of episode forty. It's been fun. You'll hear from us again after this thirty second. Uh, Sponsorship mention. Guys, I'm rough today. Wow. (laughs) You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 40. We got Drew Wilson in the house. Before we get back to his story... Episode 40, part two, is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Look, I'm Vanna White. Boom. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. The best hospitality in all of Southern Utah, by far. All right. Let's jump right back into it. We're just talking over you. Don't worry about us. Oh, it's totally we do, fine. We do love the Hilton Garden Inn, though. Embrace the chaos. That's yeah. my new. I like it. Yeah. I like it. That'd be good That's for you. I've made it this far. All right. So we were, uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to speak to on where yeah, he yeah, was going Yeah, because I hate when people doctor. say that. Like, I hate when people say, like, sure, it's a, it may be a choice up front, okay? But but after your brain becomes addicted, and Dr. Sellers can go into this because it's his, his field, but it no longer becomes, like, a choice, I, I, Q Dr. Sellers. Well, what I one of the things I wanted to point out wasn't quite rel- related to that, but there are studies in the literature. There's one particularly well done study. It was released by the uh, CDC, which I know everybody trusts and loves these days. But <laughs> um, but we used to love and trust them, uh, and I think the CDC is doing the best job they know how. Although they're a political body a little bit, but anyway, the CDC every week releases a report called the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report (MMWR), and the there was a study in the MMWR about five years ago that showed the following. If a person goes to a doctor, and they got this through looking at 6 million medical records. If a person goes to a doctor and receives a prescription for an opiate that is equivalent to one day's worth of opiates. So let's say you go and you break your finger and the doc gives you three Lortabs or three Vicodins or whatever. Or like the dentist. That's a common one. Right. Yeah. Or the the dentist sends you home with a couple of somethings. Okay. Mm. One day. 5% 5% of those people were on the same opiate a year later, the exact same opiate. 5%. 5%. You have a 5%. And I will tell you, if you've been on an o- the same opiate for a year, you're, you're addicted. You're addicted, yeah. right? So 5% of people with one day's supply become addicted. If it's a 10-day supply, if it's a five-day supply, you have a 10% chance of still being on that same opiate at the year mark. If it's a 10-day supply, it's a 20% chance. And if the doctor gives you a 28-day supply of pain medication, there is a 50% chance that you are still on that pain medication at the one-year mark. If your first prescription is 28 days. Guy gave you 50 Vicodin. 50. I'm telling you that's at least five days worth. I mean, at least 10 days worth, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, not. And it ended up being about (laughs) one day's worth later. It's three days, but, (laughs) but it starts out being at least 10 days worth. And so the the evolution of this whole thing has been, there was a time about 25, 35 years ago, somewhere in that range, and I'm not sure when, but probably that whole time, where um, the powers that be were, were pushing pain as the fifth vital sign. 
So there's blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, respiration rate, oxygen saturation. There's a bunch of different things that they call vital signs, but basically it's pulse heart rate, it's uh, heart rate and blood pressure and temperature and respirations. The fifth vital sign they were pushing as pain. So we're supposed to ask every patient about pain. And with that push came the push to relieve pain. Mm-hmm. We were pushed as physicians to give more and more pain medicine to make sure we were actively trying to treat pain. And patting pockets. And when that... Oh, sorry. Well, I don't know. It didn't... <laughs> I, may, you know, maybe. I don't think individual physicians quite saw it that way, but um, but I'll bet drug companies did. Um but anyway, so with that push, we were starting to give out more and more pain medicines. Your doctor probably that gave you that 50 Vicodin for a headache and to treat subsequent headaches, but whatever, um, probably was a victim of that push to alleviate pain. But he probably didn't know that if he gives you 50 Vicodin, you got a 25, 35% chance of being on that same pain medicine at the one year mark, 25% chance of converting you to someone who's addicted to that. So again, we look at sometimes people with substance use disorders as scum of the earth or people that are making bad choices when in fact this all developed over time and kind of we got there not by being bad moral people we got there a lot of times as victims of this push to make pain the fifth vital sign this push from doctors to alleviate pain and doctors most of them for the most part thought they were doing the right thing i mean there's a few bad actors there's no question about that yeah guy that you see initially that gives you 270 percocet that's that's a bad actor but um but for the most part they think they're doing the right thing trying to alleviate your pain so I think that's interesting. I think I've I've found it important. Well, that's all that's definitely true. Like I don't I have a hard time like completely letting myself off the hook, you know? Uh I mean I think Yeah, yeah, it takes some accountability, right? There there's there's still some accountability there, you know. I Oh, no question. May, you know, that that initial prescription, you know, getting physically addicted, you know, that maybe not completely my fault, but the behaviors that started before that, cause my addictive behaviors started long before that doctor prescribed me 50 Vicodin. What those look like, Drew? Uh, I was a liar, you know, like oh. I was a liar and manipulator. What? And, yeah. <laughs> Weird. Never heard yeah. of an addict yeah. being a liar. Most, most <laughs> addicts are super, you know, honest uh, yeah. people, but. You know uh, how you know when an addict's lying. <laughs> yeah. Their mouth's yeah. moving. Yeah. yeah. Their lips are moving. Um, That's why I always tell families when I work with families, judge their actions not their words right it's kind of that your actions are speaking so loud i can't hear the words that are coming out of your mouth right yeah 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 most of us when we get into early recovery and get 30 days under our belt like suddenly why is my uh trust not back 30 days where's two days yeah as soon as we get two days under our belt we assume that the first phone call home give me my kids back our family's supposed to trust everything that comes out of our mouth after lying to them for 20 so offended when when they don't you know for sure Um, i remember that yeah that was hard yeah it takes takes like i'm finally not lying and you don't believe me (laughs) One of my favorite, you know, metaphors or analogies or whatever is, you know, I hiked 50 miles into the woods. I have to hike 50 miles back out. You know, like I, it it takes what it takes. And one thing that I often share is I trained them to think this way. Mm -hmm. So I have the keys to train them to trust me again. Right. Right. So again, like, you know, mom calls Jared, where you at? I'm at the gym. Are you really at the gym though? Well, yeah, of course you never believe. Right. (laughs) But if I understand I'm the one that taught her to think that way, that same phone call goes like this. Jared, you at the gym. Yeah, I'm at the gym. How can I prove it to you? Do you want me to send you a pin drop? You want me to take a picture? How can I get you to trust me again? Yeah. So way different. So trust is earned, right? Absolutely. And the only way to earn it is to be trustworthy, but you have to be trustworthy for a very long time because you weren't trustworthy for a very long time. Back to the analogy. Action over time equals trust, right? Back to the analogy of 50 days into the woods, 50 days out of the woods. Miles. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, Either way. (laughs) Meters, miles, minutes. Kill it. Okay. Um, You know, I, I think one clue for my family is if, if they try and call me on something where maybe they don't think I'm being completely trustworthy and I get super upset and defensive, yes, they're probably spot on. Yes. Yeah. You know? 
Exactly. Yeah. If if I the stay guy calm. trying to build yeah. trust does not become offended when their family asks them. That's just an opportunity to build trust. Yeah. Send them so, a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to me about early recovery because that's something I really want to talk about. This because I feel like I I really want this podcast to inspire people that are in early recovery to maintain long term recovery because we know statistically they have a much better chance the longer that they stay clean and they start to rebuild their lives. What did early recovery look like for you, Drew, when you were working out those relationships with your family? What did your employment look like like tell us about the grind man so so early recovery for me was was prison you know and and i've heard some people say you know before like oh that time doesn't count blah 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 but uh, i i drugs in prison yeah i've got i've got a bone to pick with that because because getting better right early early recovery long-term recovery all of it is all about changing behaviors and there's no harder place to change your behaviors than prison Mm, you know because you are just surrounded by people that you know uh want you to fail want to drag you down you know at least in treatment and outside world you can kind of find uh, like-minded people and and form you know kind of an alliance but it's hard in prison you know when i finally started making changes i started reading good books i started taking classes i started doing all this stuff to better myself i i was made fun of you know it's a lonely road you know i wasn't in the section playing pinochle and and working out all the time and and you know they all thought well you're doing too much what are you doing you know And, and, and it's crabs in a barrel you know they they want to drag you down because if, if, if you're doing good things, then it, they feel bad about themselves, you know? And, uh, and so I did use drugs my whole first year, you know, in prison. Uh, yeah, I was, I mean, yeah. not every day, but I was, I was getting them pretty regularly, you know? And, um, and then I had that moment where I couldn't watch the giants and the, you know, the straw broke and, uh, and I went to work. Um, and you know, I read that book, man's search for meaning where, you know, the guy's in a concentration camp in World War II and, um, you know, he's getting singled out every day. His family's probably dead. He's getting beaten. He's getting starved. You know, he's breaking rocks, manual mm-hmm. labor every day. And But this guy still chooses his attitude every day, decides I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get something out of this. You know, if, if I'm going through this, I'm going to, it's going to be for something. And if I make it out of this, you know, I'm going to, um, it, I'm going to make a difference in the world, you know? And, and so I kind of adopted that attitude and, and obviously I wasn't in a concentration camp, but prison's not fun either. Well, the, right. I yeah. mean, it's a sure it felt like we have now. Uh, <laughs> so I decided to just start choosing my attitude every day, you know, and, and just, deciding how every day was going to go and set an intention every day. And this is what I'm going to accomplish. And, um, you know, and sought out to change my behaviors. How, how can I, how can I stop being a liar? You know, how can I stop being a manipulator and gain integrity? And and Mm -hmm. what I learned was, uh, it takes practice, you know, like just like learning to play golf, you know, you start with the basics and, um, the the moment that always comes back to my head was when I was in the yard at the prison and I had a candy wrapper and I was by myself, I was going to throw it on the ground. Um, and I, you know, the, the thought came to me, the definition of integrity we've all heard. Uh, if other people were around, would I do this? And the answer was no. So why am I going to do it when I'm by myself? Yeah. And I realized in that moment, like this is a practicing moment. It's a simple thing that I can practice right now. You know, and, and I can just keep practicing these little things and building up my skills, you know, and, and getting better and better and better, just like golf or playing the piano. Um, and you know what? No matter how much we practice golf, some days we still just suck. Well, there's you no know? question. Yeah. Like, so yeah. some days I still suck at honesty and integrity, but, you know, you still get back on the golf right. course, right? You go back you and know? do it again. So, Absolutely. Um, Correct your mistakes. So, you know, just the next day, I'm like, I forgive myself. I just do better the next day, you know. I I think this this part right here might be. We still have a fair amount of time, but yeah. this part right here might be the critical message for those that are listening: is early recovery. You so early recovery, you have to not take drugs. But early recovery is less about not taking drugs and more about changing your behaviors. Oh, I'm so glad you said yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's really the key because a lot of people sit on their hands and they don't take any drugs and I'm in early recovery. Well, if you're still lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, not really. That's not recovery. It might be sobriety, changes, but yeah. it ain't recovery. I love when I get a phone call from a family member and they, and they say, hey, you know, our loved one says that you guys are emotionally abusive. And I'm like... 
you know, so I call the, the clinical team in the area and say, hey, what's going on? Just let you know, this is what's being reported. Oh, we, we had a process group. And they were held accountable. And they were held accountable, <laughs> yeah. right? And, but, but to them, and it, it goes back to that manipulation and that dishonesty, their brain screaming at them, what can I, and they're, they're mulling over it. How can I get myself out of this? How, what excuse can I come up with that's good enough to get me to where I can go back to having life the way that I wanted it to be? And so it's just, it's, it's, again, it's not necessarily about, they have been through detox. They are actively in treatment. So they're not impaired. It's not about the drugs. It's about that manipulative, that lying behavior. Right. And, and so I just, yeah, it's crazy. That's spot on. Be, being uncomfortable, um, being uncomfortable, there's a cure for being uncomfortable. Right. That works every time. And it's called dopamine. Dopamine mm. works every time, right? And we've talked about this a bunch on this podcast, but to an addict, they know how to get dopamine really quickly. Like they can get massive amounts of dopamine in five minutes time and that helps them feel way more comfortable. And yeah. so when they get uncomfortable with being held accountable, their brain turns to, Hey, how do I get out of this? Got to use. Right. And what got to use also in treatment turns to got to leave. Got to leave. Oh, right. that's before got to use. Because you can't really use or rehab treatment. romance. Or rehab romance, which releases rehab dopamine. Yeah. Which Drew was great at. He right. shared that with us. Right. No, I wasn't great at it. <laughs> well, Good point. I attempted. <laughs> so, Drew, talk to me about the once the gates opened up and you walked out of prison, man. What did life look like? You, you transitioned. You went into sober living with steps. Um. You know, I, um, I was really prepared. Um, it, it, everything seemed to go pretty smoothly, you know, and, and honestly, like I had a lot of support, you know, I, and, and, uh, a lot of those guys don't, you know, so mm -hmm. I've been able to stay out of prison and be successful. I have had a lot of support, you know, so I can attribute some of, you know, my success to just my, my support system. And, and unfortunately some guys just don't have that. And, and it's easier for them to get swept up in that cycle and stay in it. But, um, but I did prepare really well. You know, I, I had an outline of what I was going to do day one, week one, month one, year one, and I was going to stick to it, you know, and while other guys were talking about who they were going to, you know, hook up with what restaurants they were going to go to, um, you know, I was thinking outside that first two weeks, uh, honeymoon period, you know, cause, right. and it's the same thing with treatment, jail, whatever, you know, like you got to think outside that, uh, that pink cloud, that two week honeymoon period where, you know, eventually I knew that real life was going to set it again. That first couple of weeks was going to be great. I was going to be experiencing these things for the first time in, in three and a half years, you know, and, uh, and it was going to be so fun, but eventually, you know, I'm going to feel stressed again. I'm going to feel heartbreak again. I'm going to feel disappointment and, and, and I had to have a plan in place for when that happened, you know, and, and I had to be prepared. And so, so I had that plan of what I was going to do and I, and I stuck to it, you know, and I quickly gained the support system, you know, like Julie Jackson and, you know, some of these really strong people in recovery. I stuck with the winners. But again, you wouldn't have had those really, well, you wouldn't have had those relationships if you hadn't have gone there in the first place. Right. Cause that's where you met Julie and that's where, right. Was yeah, so I, I didn't know Julie back then. Julie wasn't involved with Steps when I went there in 2011. But you knew of Steps, yeah, so, so that's how you were able to kind so of find So I footing. reached out, or I think my mom reached out to the former owner, Mike Jorgensen, and that's how we uh, got back involved with uh, Steps. But So I, I met Julie my first day out of prison. Got you. Um, uh, so, you know, I was... Uh, can I burst, can I, can I challenge one thought real yeah. fast? You said... Um, I had the support and a lot of people don't. And I want to challenge that because there's so many programs out there. There's so many opportunities out there that even if you don't have the family support, even if you don't know the community resources and the community support, it's your responsibility to get involved and seek them out. Voc Rehab. Voc Rehab will pay for you to get a new career. And what other, so sometimes I, I hear what you're saying. Like you had a lot of really close family support that really helped out, but there is support out there for people that do not have that. No doubt. You know, and if, if you want it bad enough, mm, you know, you yes. can, you can get better. So, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to give them uh, an out, you know, like if, if you want to get better and have a better life bad enough, then, then you'll, 
you'll find those yeah. resources. Works, They're workforce there. Workforce services. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's. Uh, Tons of them. Mine, mine were just a little easy, more easily accessible, but, but they're there, yeah. you know? Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, I, I had prepared really well, not to say that everything, you know, was always smooth sailing. I, you know, like I was saying, like I, I had a few days over the, I've been out of prison about five years. Um, I've had a few days of, uh, my integrity wasn't wasn't great. You know, my honesty wasn't great. And I, and I've had, you know, the roller coaster of, uh, of kind of going in and outside of my, my integrity. And, um, you haven't been perfect. No. Yeah. You didn't get the manual on how to do this thing perfectly. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'd love to see that. Dr. Um, Sellers wrote it, didn't you? <laughs> I am it. <laughs> um, but I just continuously try to, to get better and, and hone my skills, you know, and, uh, and just be a better person, which is why we, which is why we are encouraged to take a moral inventory on a daily basis. Step mm-hmm. four and ten, because everyone screws up. Yep, there's yep. no one out there that doesn't step away from their integrity once in a while. No, sometimes they don't step way away from it, but everybody, no one's ever on that straight and narrow line that never wavers. Almost nobody is on that. Right, we kind of wander around it, and we try to stay close to it. But if we take a f- searching and fearless moral inventory every day, then we can steer ourselves back to it. And maybe we overshoot, and then we steer back, and then we mm-hmm. will eventually hit where we're going. Yeah, and I love that Drew talked about the those were kind of warning signs for him, right? Like when he finds himself not yep. in integrity or not being honest, like yep. manipulating. Those are all warning signs for Drew that hey. We know where this road leads to. Mm-hmm. You sure you want to keep, you know, it's like you're driving down the road in your truck or, or car and that, that check engine light keeps flashing on. I know I can either pay attention to that and get it checked out or I'm going to have or a drive, ruptured or drive until it breaks down. <laughs> right, yeah, right. 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 It'll break down. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and things, the, the more I worked on myself and just kept uh, trying to get better, you know, things, my life just improved and, uh, you know, I got out of prison. I got a sponsor. I started attending AA. You know, I uh, I got involved in that fellowship. I got involved in sober softball, and and I built connection. You mm-hmm. know, and I have just this amazing support network in the state of Utah. You know, I'm from California, but like it, the bulk of my support is here now. Uh, right. just, you know, um, and you know, some amazing things have w- happened for me. You know, I've. I've got this great career, um, that it still blows my mind. Like I, I just, I just always assumed I was just going to be that guy that made like 12 bucks an hour, you know, just, I don't know, working at the grocery store, which, which is, you know, uh, fine. Um, just not what you were aspiring yeah, to be. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put anybody down. That's no, just not, no, wasn't so your no. aspiration. Um, and, uh, you know, um, got this great career. I've got this great support group. My daughter's back in my life today. You know, she's, I get married in two weeks and she's one of the bridesmaids. How old's your daughter? She's 12. And what's her name? Her name is Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Give a shout out to Hannah. I hope she hears this. <laughs> yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hannah, your dad is amazing. What a stud. <laughs> Sitting yeah, here with us today. Kind of stud. Yeah. yeah. So she's, she's going to be at the the wedding and she'll be a bridesmaid and, Sweet. and, and that's a miracle to it me, miracle. you know, like it was, it really was like I had to hike 50 miles back out of the yeah. woods to, to gain the trust back from her mom, you know, and, and that's, to, that's understandable, you sure. know, like I, uh, I was, I was very patient and I worked hard and I drive up to Boise still, you know, often cause that's where my daughter lives and, and I go see her and I stay consistent and, um, and, and I understood going in that that's what it was going to take. I, I can't expect to get five years of recovery in one year. I can't get one year right. in 30 days. Right. You know, it takes what it takes. And, and uh, life's just so much sweeter on this side. Yeah. Right. Like we're driving here this morning and I'm like, Drew, do you even believe that we get to do this today? <laughs> like, you know, that he's worked. buying a house, I'm yeah. buying a house, he's getting married. Like, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. It's just mind blowing. Tonight we get to go out with Dr. Sellers to a oh, restaurant to eat. Yeah. Like we get to, do, can you believe we get to do this today? I think that's a really important part of this whole thing is to not lose that gratitude and that yeah. sense of awe, yep. you know, because I'll there still be sitting there, you know, I've, I've got seven plus years of recovery and I'll still be sitting there with my entire family at an event, family event. And my mind's just blown that I'm even there and I'm allowed to be there and they trust me, 
you know, and I think you got to keep that sense of awe and, and gratitude. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we've we've only got two minutes left, but I want to point something out, which I should have pointed out a long time ago. That stuff shows up on the podcast, so don't bang your hands. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> but back to gratitude. <laughs> back to gratitude. I I love that you pointed out. Like, it's cool when other people see value in you, right? When other people can, like, yeah, I, you know, not to get all emotional and stuff, but. I don't think people like Dr. Sellers and, and the people I work for that you work for, like, I don't know that they truly appreciate like how much they've changed our lives. Like they've given us an opportunity to do something pretty stinking amazing. And like, my heart is so full of gratitude, you know? Yeah. I, I you know, I'm so loyal to, uh, to these guys at steps, you know, Paul walking horse and Ty Hansen and Julie, cause they literally have given me everything, yeah. you know? And I, a lot of what I, you know, maybe not everything. I've, I've worked hard, uh, but. I was going to say, but if you ask them, they would yeah. say you earned everything. Right. Right? Because they're in the, some of them are working the same program you are. Yeah. Many of them. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, there's, uh, but I'm just, I'm very blessed to, to have landed, you know, at my home, my, my career very early on in my recovery and. Uh, and have that that family that I do. Thanks, buddy. Listen, we appreciate you coming down. Thank you so much. Yeah. Even though you forgot you. the ice machine for the place that I work at. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know who's gonna whine, and I'll handle it. <laughs> I'm just teasing, man. <laughs> Thank you, Doc Sellers, for being down here for another week. We look yeah. forward to next Fun. week. What a great podcast. Yeah, Thanks, Doc. it's been a good Thanks, time. Thanks, Drew, for coming down. That yeah, was that's cool. We Sean Denovan, thank you. This, this podcast is all about gratitude. Yeah, today. we love everybody today, don't we? Yeah. And thank you to our listeners. Like, seriously, if you like this, share this, comment, right? Like, get involved. The more people that this reaches, the better off. Thank you guys again. This has been episode 40. We look forward to next week for episode 40, 41. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.